This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Have you ever wanted to start therapy, but you're kind of scared? I've been there. I've done that. And professional therapists understand that we may be scared as well. That's why licensed marriage and family therapist Dr. Symphony Smith got her and her best good black female clinicians together for a three-part workshop series called I want to try therapy, but I'm scared. This workshop is created to help attendees overcome the fear and hesitation to try therapy. They do this by reducing several of the common barriers minorities have to mental health services, like the stigma that black women should always be okay, hyper-religiosity saying that you shouldn't have mental health service, and of course the big barrier, money. There are so many reasons to attend this workshop. Listen, you guys need to check it out. Some of the top reasons that I'm excited about this workshop is that you'll genuinely get to learn what therapy is and what it should look like. You will learn how to spot a mental health professional who is right for you. And you already know that a panel of black female clinicians are gonna keep it real with tips on how to get the most out of your experience. In this workshop, you're actually gonna get a chance to experience one to three minute therapeutic interventions so that you can get a taste of what therapy is supposed to look like and the benefits of it. And you will be passing this gift along to the next black girl. 10% of each ticket for this workshop will go to the Loveland Foundation to help black women and girls access up to eight therapy sessions. Take a first real step in your mental health journey by learning with Dr. Symphony Smith in her workshop, I want to try therapy, but I'm scared with her and all of her sisters who heal. Links to the Eventbrite and a special discount code can be found in the description box below. Check her out and enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? I'm Ra. And I'm Taz. And a welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Y'all, if y'all haven't heard anything from Tazzy on this episode, one of the, her main things is that you need to always read your paperwork, always read your contracts, always read your statements to the police, and especially always read your contracts before you get to murdering.
you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Our players this week are Will Walker, the husband slash victim, Jackie Hines, Will's stepdaughter, Christopher Hines, co-defendant, Chad Padgett, Jackie's boyfriend and a co-defendant, Brian Doherty, co-defendant, and Loma Curry Walker, our murderess. Loma T. Curry was born in Ohio on August 6, 1971. Her parents were Nigerian and she was an only child. She was a good student and she graduated high school in 1989. There's not much about her life because she changed her name a lot. But after high school, she met Macklin Hines Sr. And they, you know, got into a little relationship or whatever. You know, Macklin Sr., he was very nice to you, Loma. But he had a, you know, a record, a rap sheet. And that rap sheet was long. And you, Loma didn't know nothing about that rap sheet. And, you know, they were small things, you know, drugs, hitting licks on people. But all these things you, Loma, didn't really know about, which... The internet, I know this was in 89, but y'all, start stalking these people before you get in a relationship. You just never know who you're going to run into. Soon after they got together, they had a baby girl. Her name was Jessica. And then in 1991, they had a baby boy, Macklin Jr. And then five years later, in 1996, they had their third baby, Jackie. Her name is Jacqueline, but Jackie for short. They were a happy little family. They were together for about 15 years until Macklin Sr. decided that the streets were for him. And that's where he was going to stay. And at that time, that's when Uloma found out that he had a long rap sheet and that he had been on the streets prior to meeting her. 15 years of deception, disgrace. (laughs) Good one. In 2004, she decided to move her and her kids out of the house. She broke up with Macklin Sr., but, you know, he wasn't done with that relationship. You know, street niggas, if I can't have you, nobody can. Their relationship started getting really tense. I mean, like, he was blowing up her phone. He was showing up to her job. She was like, nigga, come on. Like, I'm just trying to get away from you. And, you know, she tried her best. She was trying to be a good mom. She was trying to find herself a nice, steady job. She started working as a home health care nurse to support her family. Uh, Jessica and Uloma, they weren't getting along very well, the daughter, the eldest daughter. So she decided to move out of state, and she was like, I just can't deal with you. Deal with you. I want to be away from mom. So it was just Macklin Jr. and Jackie and Uloma at the house. One day when Uloma was leaving for a Masonic function slash community event at the center because she was Eastern Star, she saw this tall, fine, chocolate man named William Walker, also known as Will. She saw Will walk by and she was like, oh yes, I'm ready to climb that tree. (laughs) Have you seen that? Okay, so you know how everybody posting that girl from jail with the body? Yeah. So I had first saw it on Twitter. (laughs) 
<laughs> they said, they said, uh, she a AKA, I could tell. <laughs> Dead. And somebody, some white nigga goes in there and says, what's an AKA? And somebody says, also known as, and then you just see all these black people with snicker and tweets, like, nigga, you don't get it. <laughs> Will Walker was born in Cleveland and raised by a single mom. He grew up in a rough neighborhood that was filled with crime and violence. When he got older, he started working at a steel mill, but he didn't really enjoy it because of who enjoys that hard-ass labor hurting your back all the time. One day he was talking to one of the first aid workers at the steel mill who doubled as a firefighter. They began talking and Will realizes that maybe firefighting and helping others was his calling. So he starts paramedic school and then he meets his first wife, Frida. They get married and they have two children, Melody and Chris Walker. And Rita and Will, they're together for like 10 years. But their relationship starts to become more platonic than it is romantic. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, when you're in a marriage, you want love, you know? So they was right. like... You know, you don't want to be with your roommate. You know? Like, so they was just like... Listen, let's just get divorced. You can find your true love. I can find my true love. But we're still just going to raise these children together and be the best parents that we can be for them. So they maintained a good friendship. Melody goes off to college. Chris is still living with Rita. And Will lived alone, working as a firefighter and continued to be a leader in his community. He became a member of the 47th PM of Ecclesiastes Lodge, 120 Free and Accepted Masons, PHA. This specific chapter of Freemasons in Cleveland were a fraternal organization dedicated to the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. They take good men and they develop into better ones, you know? Will, he was, he, he was a good spirit, man. He loved to dance, so him and Yoloma would go to salsa classes and dance parties and they'd go out to restaurants. They even traveled. And eventually Yoloma moved into the house with Will and she brought her son, Macklin Jr., his girlfriend, Ashley, and eventually their baby into the house with them. But Jackie, Yoloma's daughter, lived off and on in the house because she mostly stayed at her boyfriend's mom's house. She had this boyfriend named Chad, right? But yeah, Will, he was a good dad to his kids, and he intended on being a good dad to Yoloma's kids too, you know? Will's brother from the fraternity and all his firefighter friends said that Yoloma and Will had the perfect-looking, were they married at this point? Relationship, mm -hmm. right? Relationship. Had the perfect-looking relationship. You know, they were in love, and you could see it. It showed. Now, behind the scenes, Yoloma was actually struggling with a debt issue, and she had tried to fix it by putting her debt in Will's name and opening up credit cards in Will's name. But it was all a secret, right? She pretended like everything is fine. And you know, you might be saying like, how is she able to pull all this off? They're together about eight years at this point. Not married, but they're together. And so she's living in a house. She's got a lot of access. They've built a lot of trust, right? Let's skip to January, 2013. Will comes home from work and Yoloma tells him, baby, I have some news. Sit down, we have to talk. He's like, you know, what's wrong, dear? What's going on? She's like, I went to the doctor today, and I have stage four breast cancer. My insurance is not going to cover it. I, I, I can't afford the treatments and stuff that I need. 
So, I mean, this is this is cancer, the big C, you know. So, of course, they're, they're upset. She cries, he cries, they cry together. After the tears, they sit and they figure out what they're going to do. Will's a firefighter, so he's got full health coverage, the best of benefits. And he says, you know what? We've been doing this long enough. It's time I make a proper woman out of you. We'll get married, and you'll get put on my insurance, and we're going to make sure that you see this through. June of 2013, Will and Yoloma go to the courthouse. They say their I do's in front of a judge and a witness. Since they don't spend the money on a wedding, they're able to go on this extravagant honeymoon to Ireland. And guess what? They take Melody and Chris, uh, Will's kids. I'm not taking nobody on my honeymoon. I have seen people do these, like, group honeymoons where it's like everybody came with their couple. No. Especially it's not me, because I don't like PDA, and I need to be in my full element on my honeymoon. Like, nobody's right, holding me back from nothing. Right. You don't like PDA, and I do. Y'all going to see this ass <laughs> on the kitchen counter. And y'all want to see that? No. Didn't think so. Don't be on my honeymoon. You're not going to be on my honeymoon. If you're on my honeymoon, you're not going to see me, okay? Right. I'm going to be ducked off. And then bring your kids, not even, like... A couple your friend, kid. but, like, your kids. The ch- right. That's crazy. They need to be supervised because they're in a whole other country. They didn't take uh, Yoloma's kids. Macklin and Ashley had just had a baby, so they had to go stay home with their infant. And Jackie didn't go because her and Will were starting to have some issues. There was a little trouble in the waters. You see... Will was strict, and Jackie wanted to do whatever she wanted to do, so they butted heads a lot. And to make matters worse, Will was not a fan of Chad, you know, her boyfriend. I mean, and rightfully so, because it would come over to the house and smoke weed in his house. Like, nigga, you want to smoke weed? Smoke weed in your own house. Or at least outside of mine. It's like, come on now. He a whole firefighter. Like, do better. I think we did a couple... We did a couple episodes ago on Shantae's episode. We talked about how firefighters aren't there to punish you, but also they're here to uphold the law. Like, you can't just be smoking in no firefighter house. Not if he's not doing it. Right. I just feel you shouldn't smoke in anybody's house who doesn't smoke without explicit permission. Correct. Because I have had, like, um, one of my friends, one of my college roommates, she does not smoke, but I went to her house a couple of years ago for her birthday party. And she was like, I designated you a smoking area. And I was like, thank you. So thoughtful. Mm-hmm. But if she would have been like, Mariah, you know, I don't like that shit. I'd have been like, great. About to go hotbox my car. <laughs> See, I have a cousin who doesn't smoke, but like she... She likes to be such the hostess. She keeps ashtray and lighters at her house and be like, when you're ready, here you go. <laughs> but, yeah, so he ain't like that shit. And one time Will and Chad got into this big-ass argument, and Will told Chad he wasn't allowed back at the house. So, you know, that really put a strain on Will and Jackie's relationship. While they were in Ireland, Will bought Uloma a real fur coat because, you know, money. It was beautiful, and he was so proud of himself for being able to buy it because, you know, them things are expensive. He really felt like this sense of pride in Uloma. Of course, she loved it. When they got back from their honeymoon, Will got a promotion. He was promoted to the lieutenant, and he joined Squad 4, which is, like, the most prestigious and highly trained firefighter. So, you know, life is going great for him right now. He's doing well in his career. Um, as being one of these firefighters, he's skilled in the most demanding rescues. I mean, like, 
um, search and rescue, diving, anything that a firefighter can and should be able to do, he can do it. He was also um, able to oversee quality assurance in the in the department's EMT and EMS offices. He got a pay raise. They put him in the newspaper next to the mayor. I mean, my man was doing great with a career that he loved. And, you know, you love to see it, especially when you started off. I mean, he started off working at the 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 mill, hated it, got some inspiration to be a firefighter, and is doing so well in it. Like, love to see it. Mm-hmm. When he... When he wasn't on shift, he also rented out an office to teach EMS classes. So he was hustling, hustling, hustling. His students of that EMS class said that a lot of the classes could be boring because they've been to EMS classes before. But Lieutenant Will had a way of teaching the things that they needed to learn while making it interesting. So it kept everybody excited about their job. And when people are excited in training, they're going to be excited when they're out on the field. He absolutely loved being a firefighter. And most importantly, he loved being a mentor to other people that were up and coming in his field. Will was working a lot. Like he was clearly making sure that he was able to provide. And Yoloma, as much as he was working, she was racking up that debt. And since they were married, she had chances to do it even more. She started taking out loans in this man's name. She started, of course, she was already opening up the credit cards. Like, she was really just like, he got it. I got it, too. Now, I wish I would be up here, get my money straight, working my ass off, and somebody on the back end fucking it up. No. (sighs) Somebody you love? Yuloma began to worry that Will was going to find out about the debt. So she was trying to think about how she could pay it off before he noticed, which I'm sure, I mean, credit card wasn't around then, but like, goodness gracious. So when Will was excited about his promotion, it made them be able to move out of Cleveland Heights in Madison, Ohio, to the suburbs. Now, Cleveland Heights, it was not a great neighborhood. It was definitely like middle class, straight in the middle. Wasn't great wasn't horrid but you had it was very hood right over there (laughs) not even hood adjacent it was hood across it was hood when you step to the left they were set to move to madison ohio on november 15th 2013 they both got new cars after his promotion like he was feeling really good and that's really bad because you know this nigga spending money on you and you still stealing money and like we said it wasn't a really they were moving up to the suburbs moving on up so they were really happy to the suburbs. What Yuloma did know was that Will had a $100,000 life insurance policy. So she began thinking of a master plan to get rid of her husband so that she could pay off this debt. And if he did, he wouldn't find out, right? October of 2013, Yuloma was in the car with Chad, remember Jackie's boyfriend, and Jackie was in the car as well. And she was like, I just need somebody to kill Will. And Chad was like, oh, okay. She was like, my husband's doing me wrong, beating me, cheating me, mistreating me. And he's like, what? She's like, yes, he's been abusing me. I mean, this is just like such a horrible situation that I'm in. And I I just really need him to be taken care of. Chad was like, okay, well, I could probably figure this out. I could probably find somebody to do it. And then she was like, great. And she said at the end of their conversation, quote, no one would believe I hire a bunch of kids to kill someone when I know people that could, end quote. So she told them that 
he would get the money after she cashed in his life insurance policy. With that $1,000, like as a down payment or whatever, he went to go get a gun. He got the gun from a neighborhood nigga that, you know, always have guns. But Chad kind of was like, ah, I mean, I don't like Will, but I don't think I can pull the trigger. Like, it was getting on him. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Yulama, of course, was upset about this. She was pissed. She was like, "How? which mean you can't pull the trigger? There's money here on the line. And she's like, I'm going to give you another chance to do this again. And he's like, okay, okay, I'm going to try and do this again. But this time, she gave him another deposit to find people that can help. You you can't do it, then find somebody that can. She was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to tell Will that to go get me some food. He's going to get some food. I'm going to text Jackie. And when I text Jackie, that's going to be the cue for y'all, you to come home and wait to kill him, okay? So Chad contacts his cousin named Chris Hine who is a pretty known gun and drug dealer around there, got the gun, purchased a high-point pistol for $200. Then he went to his friend, Ryan Doherty. Ryan was like this nigga around the way, and he was known to do little slick shit or whatever. So Ryan said, listen. So Ryan was like, bet, I'll do it. You give me a band, give me $1,000, give me a little bit of weed, I got you. Chad was like, okay, how about I give you eight hundred dollars because that's all he had left and some weed ryan was like you got yourself a deal two days later on november 3rd 2013 around 7 p.m yuloma and will were downstairs in our house packing to move because they had plans to move the next week uh yuloma tells will she's hungry and she's like can you go get some mcdonald's so will's like of course dear anything for you he leaves around 7 15 he goes, gets dinner, and a few minutes after he leaves, Yoloma texts Jackie and was like, you can come home now. Chad gets one of his friends to drive him and Ryan to Lampton Road, where Will and Yoloma live. He drops them off around the corner and waits for them. They're like, oh, we're about to go down here and get some weed real quick. We'll come back, right? It's my girl house. We'll be in and out, right? Ryan sneaks through the backyard and then around the side of the house behind a trash can, and Chad is standing across the street. When Will pulls up to the house, he gets out the car, walks up the side of the house, puts his key in the door, and Ryan pops out from behind the trash can and fires four shots at Will. Three of them hit him in his chest, and he falls to the ground. Ryan and Chad run to the car that's waiting for them, but when they get to the car, the friend's like, the fuck was those shots, and why y'all running? And he was like, I thought y'all was just here to pick up some weed. They was like, yeah, it's cool, uh... Shit just turned left real quick, but it's cool. We just got to get out of here. He says, you're on your own. <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with this shit. It leaves them there. <laughs> Deals off without them. <laughs> the boys had to take the RTA train home. Now, after Yoloma hears the shot, she waits a few minutes, and then she comes running outside. She looked at Will, and she calls 911 at 8.35 p.m. She is like, y'all, my husband has been shot. She's, she's telling this man, you'll be okay, I love you. She's asking how can she help, right? But when, when the police and the fire rescue and everybody respond to the scene, they're like, oh, shit, this is Will, this is our Will. So some of the firefighters, they start crying, but, like, everybody's doing their best to get him in the ambulance. Like, this is serious. This is one of our own. You know, they always work harder for their own. They get there, and Yoloma is not actually covered in blood despite her um efforts to help and uh she rides in the back of the ambulance with will and the ems and the whole ride she just keeps asking is he dead yet 
And they're like weird, but also she's hysterical. So maybe she's just saying some weird shit, right? And Will was conscious in the ambulance ride. They could hear him saying, I'm drowning. Imagine drowning in your own blood. That's just got to be painful because, okay, yesterday, and I'm sure you've done this, and I'm sure that everybody else has done this. I was so thirsty, and then I came, went in there, I have like the filter in the fridge, and I tilt the water back up, and I tried to chug the water. And you know how like it goes down the wrong pipe, and you really have to sit there for a while mm-hmm. and figure out where that water is because it, it's almost like you're drowning. Like it's in there, and you can't, you just got to kind of wait for it to, and that shit is painful. So, and I, so yesterday, I think it was yesterday. Yesterday, I was like, this is what it's got to feel like to be drowning. Like, this was painful and I couldn't move. I just had to wait for like my body to know that there was, that it was water and to pass it through the rest of my body like it was supposed to. But if there's constantly blood coming in or constantly water, like that's scary as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like it was scary for just me drowning, ac- trying to almost <laughs> drown myself accidentally. And, you know, I was conscious enough and able to be like, hold on, body, yeah. reroute. They all arrive at Metro Health, and real, Will wasn't taken far. He's actually, like, right next to the waiting room in a trauma unit. And, you know, they don't have him in the operating room yet. And they're trying to get him stable before they can move him. And the waiting room is standing room only. It's filled with all of Will's firefighter friends, his children, Melody and Chris, and Rita and Yoloma. And Yoloma's just quiet, just waiting for the outcome. Nurses are sobbing, so are the firefighters. Like, it's just a real tragic scene at the hospital. Back at the home, also a crime scene right now, detectives interview Ashley and Macklin Jr. since they're the only people that were at the house. Ashley tells the detectives that it was a casual night. Like, Macklin Jr. and their baby, they were getting ready to rent the house because Uloma and Will, they were getting ready to pack up their things and move away. Ashley said that she went to go get some Popeyes for her and Macklin Jr. And, you know, I don't know if the baby was eating meat at the time, but, you know, her little family. And on her way back to the house, that's when she heard the gunshots and she ran into the front door to get away from them. She didn't really, like, know where the gunshots were coming from at the time, but she knew that they were close. But she didn't really place that, oh, shit, it was that close she said that when she got in Macklin Jr. was like yelling and screaming that Will got shot and Uloma was screaming for help it was just chaos automatically detectives asked her if she knew anybody that would hurt Will and she said that Uloma said that at one point there were kids in the neighborhood that Will got into it the day before because you know Will was a very straight and narrow by the book type of guy and these kids was out there you know, selling drugs. Those kids were out there just doing shit they weren't supposed to do. And Will didn't like that shit around his house. I know that we're not in the best of neighborhoods, but y'all keep that shit from around here. And apparently he got into some type of verbal altercation. And she was like, I mean, yeah, but I just, that's the only time that I can think of anybody that had anything against him. She didn't know exactly who those people were, but you know, that's the only thing she could think of. Macklin Jr. He was like, he was in the house He was playing Xbox. He asked Ashley to go get some food, like we said. She did, and while she was gone and he was in the house, he heard the gunshots, went outside, and when he went outside, that's when he found Will laying on the ground, bleeding out. And when he was bleeding out, he heard Will, because Will was still, like, alive, and he heard Will say that there was somebody in the backyard. Again, the police asked him, is there anybody that you can think of that would want Will dead? 
And Will, again, was like, I, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of is the same thing that his girlfriend Ashley could think of, that he confronted some kids in the neighborhood that were selling drugs not too long ago. They got into a verbal altercation. That would be crazy if these kids killed him over that. But, like, that's nobody hates him. While they waited in the waiting room at the hospital to see if Will was going to make it, detectives tried to interview Uloma, but they were also like, you know, you you just ran out. You just saw your husband bleeding out. She's clearly frantic. And they really wanted to be respectful to her in the situation. So they were like, you know, yeah, it could have been a robbery, but it doesn't seem like that. I mean, his wallet and his phone were in his pocket, so... It, it it's not likely that it's a robbery gone wrong. And so they asked Uloma, okay, can you talk us through what happened? She backed up what Ashley and Macklin Jr. had said about going to Popeye's. Macklin was playing the Xbox. They were getting ready. She was like, I'm in the house. I'm packing. I'm getting ready for this big move we're about to have. And then, boom, gunshots. I knew that the gunshots were close. I run outside, and I see my husband on the ground. She's crying. She's frantic she's telling them that there was so much blood she was just freaking out and she's just like i just asked the person who did this why why please please promise me you gonna find out who does this please you gonna find out who did this and these detectives are like yes ma'am we're, we promise we're gonna figure this out you know will was one of our own we're gonna get to the bottom of this no matter what now while they were talking the doctor interrupts them and is I mean, one of his firefighter friends was there and they interviewed him. And he was like, when that doctor came out, you could tell that they tried everything that they could with that man. And the doctor was just like, there's nothing left for us to do. There's just that. Yeah, they said they could have called it way sooner than what he did. And for anybody else, they probably would have. Out of those gunshots that hit him, there was one, even though they were in the chest, only one of them was really the fatal gunshot wound. And everyone was so devastated. And that sucks because the chest is a hard place. But, like, I know people that have gotten shot in the chest and have survived. Mm-hmm. You, It's all about where you hit, right? It's about what organ you're going to hit. So, clearly, two of them were in, were in non-vital areas, but one of them hit in a super vital area. And they were devastated. I mean, the firefighters were devastated. The the All of the first responders in the area had some type of interaction with Will, and they were just heartbroken. Of course, the family of Will was heartbroken as well. Um, The detectives, after they found out that he passed away, they stopped the interview, they gave the family time to mourn, just gave them a little bit of space. Um, On November 7th, 2013, a vigil was held for Will. Uloma wasn't at the vigil, but it was held and it was very nice. Then, a few days later, it was like the 9th or 11th. I've seen different sources. So some say the 9th, some say the 11th. So within that time frame, um, they had a funeral for him. It was a very traditional firefighter funeral. They folded the flag. It was really beautiful. A lot of people showed up. The pallbearers took his casket out of the ceremony. They put his casket in the back of a firefighter truck and had the sirens going all the way to the burial site. The mayor was at the funeral. Half of Cleveland was at the funeral. And Uloma, she was sitting on the front row wearing her fur coat that Will got her from Ireland. The detectives leave the hospital and go back to Lampson Ave to Will and Uloma's neighborhood to interview the witness. To interview the witnesses, find evidence, something to help with this case. Like, they are extremely motivated to figure out what the hell happened to their boy Will. Now, initially, it did look like a robbery gone wrong, but 
as they're at the scene investigating and digging a little deeper, they're like, this is way too precise to be random. It had to be personal, right? They find the four shell casings in the grass next to the side of the house, like on the perimeter of it, and there were fingerprints on them, so they sent those to get run through the system. Next, Will's keys were still in the door, and the McDonald's bag is in the grass where the shell casings are. They talked to the neighbors, and most of the neighbors did not want to talk, and, and some of them did, and they would say, like, yeah, we've heard gunshots before, but not on our street, like, and not that close. It was too close. And they're just like, this is just really weird. This is not like a high gun traffic area. They caught this man walking into his house. Like, it's very, caught him at the exact moment they needed to catch him, you know? So they start canvassing the neighborhood. They're they're looking for the guy who Ashley told them about that Will had to get a little rough with, you know, coming by the yard or whatever. And... While they're looking in the neighborhood, they found out that there's this guy named Rex who lives down the street, and he's just like a little nigga who like robbing big niggas. He got little man syndrome. And they was like, you know, while we're out here, might as well question him. But he wasn't at his house. So the next day, the news starts to report about a high-profile murder of a well-loved Cleveland lieutenant firefighter, and the tips start coming in. Are you a black woman with a business that you're trying to take to the next level? Well, I'm sure that you have found out that the biggest thing is marketing. And if you want your business to be featured on Sisters Who Kill Podcast, send us an email at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com so that you can have an ad space on our podcast. Get your next customer here because the killers like to support. Email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. Now let's get on with the show. Well, Johnny Dent says that Will was so frazzled and he wasn't used to seeing Will like that. But, you know, he helped him into the building. And when they get in, the two go into Will's office and they talked while Will starts to clean out his office. He says this whole time, Will is still anxious and trying to figure out what he wants to keep or throw away in the office and Will had told Johnny that they were moving soon and he needed to be out of that office within a week. And so Johnny's like, well, you know, no problem, brother. I'll help you pack. We can shoot the shit. So they're talking and Will's phone just keeps ringing, keeps ringing. And each time he answers, his voice is getting a little louder. He's getting more and more frustrated, angry, confused. After a while, the calls stop and Will, you know, he kind of calms down, recollects himself. He's cool again. They keep packing. They finish later that evening. Johnny's, like, talking to the police. He's like, I mean, did I think his behavior was weird? Yeah, but I was just helping my friend out. Like, you know, maybe he was just frustrated by the deadline that he had a week. And, you know, maybe it was just other shit going on. You know, people shit go on people every single day, you know. I'm just trying to be a friend and be there for him. I don't know what it really was. I didn't pry, you know. So the police are like, What was on the other side of those calls that had Will so upset? What could those calls have done with his murder, possibly, you know? And Johnny's like, I don't know, but if you need anything from me, if you need anything else from me, I'm here to help, right? So so after hearing this tip, they get to working on Will's phone records. The second tip came from an anonymous person who said that he saw the news and knows that a guy named Chad is involved. And... Tip taker is like, Chad who? Chad what? And the person hangs up. So the detectives are like, okay, we have a Chad, no last name. 
they uh, interview you Loma as scheduled, and they put this random tip on the back burner from now. They found out that there was a guy named Eugene Cray that Will confronted the day before he was murdered. Apparently, Eugene parked his car in the driveway of the house and was blasting music and smoking weed. And you know, Will wasn't having none of that shit. And Will was so angry that he went out and confronted him. When Will got to the driver's side of the car, Eugene like, skirt, drove away. They talked to Melody, Will's daughter, and she was so sad that her dad died. I mean, she was distraught. She was a daddy's girl. She said that he was a really good man, but she also told the detectives that a few weeks before he died, he told her that he was still in love with her mama. And she said that he said that he wasn't sure if marrying Uloma was the right decision, but he really wanted to make sure that she had health insurance coverage because, you know, he did care about her. But here's my thing. Y'all was together for eight years and he ain't get down on one knee. I feel like that's a red flag. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be with you for eight years without no ring. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. That's why you and I are different people because I know you would. I know you'd be like, shit. We ain't got to have no title. You chilling, I'm chilling. We chilling together. Right. You know me, I'm like, are you in love with me? Yes or no? <laughs> are we serious so, about this? Come on now. I need you to love me. Listen, um, you just have to tell me how you need to be loved. If that's what you need, sure. But, I mean, if you don't care, I don't care. Then, Uloma comes into the station for her interview. The interview was audio and video recorded. They ask her about her relationship with Will, and she says... I'm not going to say he was perfect, but he was my perfect. I just really want to find out what happened. She said that she saw a black man on the corner watching her help Will after she got shot. She yelled and asked for and asked him what he wanted, and he came to the driveway, but then, like, he ran away. So some mysterious man was there. She said she didn't know about Rex, and she didn't know if they got into an, an argument with Rex specifically, but he did get into an altercation with some of Rex's friends one time when she was when he was on a jog so she said that they were screaming and yelling with each other and after that every time that he went for a jog he would take the dog and a gun with him they asked her if she knew a guy named Chad and she kind of like hesitated for a second and then she was like well my daughter's Chad Pageant but no, Chad is just a sweet boy. I doubt that he has anything to do with his death because Chad and Will, they got along very well. Which we, y'all know, is a lie, right? Okay, we told y'all that earlier. Okay. Um, when police asked if she and Will had any debt or any money, like, is are you guys in maybe, like, some bad business deals? Maybe there's a loan shark out for y'all? She was like, no, we our finances are great. They said that, his marriage was loving, and Will and Loma had a great bond that they had watched, you know, develop over the years. And the detectives asked the firefighters about Chad, and it was like, well, I'll tell you one thing. Will did not like that Chad. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? We just talked to Loma. Loma just said that Will did like Chad. They're like, no, Will asked that Chad not be hanging around the house and that he's the reason that Yoloma's daughter, Jackie, couldn't go on the honeymoon in Ireland with Will's kids. And the detective's like, what? This is, like, complete opposite. I don't understand. So then, the next day, Rex Coleman, y'all remember him, the uh, little man syndrome guy, right? He gets arrested 
on unrelated charges. So they're like, well, easy. Let's go talk to him. They go to the jail. They interview him. And Rex is more than ready to talk. He says, listen, I got an alibi, okay? Y'all can have whatever y'all want. They was like, oh, yeah? Well, you going to give us your fingerprints and make sure so we can make sure those aren't the ones on the gun? He's like, sure thing. Gives the fingerprints. Um, they're like, well, you, you say your girlfriend can back you up. You going to give us her number? Yeah, sure. Reach her here. He's like, I ain't got nothing to hide. I ain't had nothing to do with it, right? A few hours later, they call his girlfriend, and she backs up the alibi that they were together that night, and um, Rex kind of gets cleared of the crime. They're like, okay, he don't got nothing to do with this. Now they're like, well, let's go talk to Rita, you know, Will's ex-wife Rita. They're like, let's see let's see what she knows about this. Now they talk to Rita, and they like, Rita's like, um, yeah, me and your Loma get along fine. We have a positive relationship. Sometimes the three of us will go hang out or whatever. Our, all of our family spend the holidays together. Like, I mean, we were fine. Blended family. For real, for real. Like, we're doing what's best for the children. Now, she did say that she and Will did not agree with how Yoloma would spoil her daughter Jackie. And that sometimes Will and Yoloma would fight about that. And she told the police about the honeymoon, you know, backing up that Will did not like Chad. The weed story, everything. And it's just like, okay, that's two no's for Chad and one yes. At this point, Yoloma's story is, is Yoloma's the odd man out, you know. Now the detectives are like, going to get a little bit more information. going to dig a little deeper for going back to Yoloma. Let's go talk to Jackie. And... Jackie was like, mm-mm, I don't like the cops. I ain't trying to talk to y'all, no. They're asking her questions. They're interviewing. She's giving half answers. And they literally have to pull teeth to get information. After a while of them talking, she admits that she is, in fact, dating Chad and that Chad and Will did not get along. She says that Will was too harsh and that Chad didn't like to come over. But... She said at the end of the day, she did like Will because he was good to her mom. They asked about the night of the murder, and she said that she was on the east side of Cleveland with Chad at his mama house because she basically spent half her time over there. She also made sure to say that she had nothing to do with the murder, okay? They took her information, they asked for Chad's number and address, and she says she didn't have it. How you don't have it? He was living over there. You don't have your man number? She said, y'all going to have to find that all on your own. Listen, anywho, they let her go. They was like, you know, don't got enough to hold you. You have a good day. We'll figure out how to get in touch with Chad on our own. It's not like we don't right. have a database with people's information in it. Right. And now that they had a first and last name, they just entered him right into that database, and they found out that he was a pretty uh, low-level weed dealer. There's nothing really significant about him. But what they did know is that almost everybody that they interviewed mentioned his name. So they were like, let's go ahead and bring him in. At first, he was acting the same way his girlfriend Jackie was. He was nervous. He was quiet. He wasn't giving up too much information. He said that the night that it happened, he was at his mom's house. He was watching TV. That means that Jackie and Chad are each other's alibi and over here in america that was like 
we don't believe you. You can't be each other's alibi. Like, but they didn't have anything to hold him on. They didn't have any concrete evidence. You can't just arrest him because hearsay. So they let him go. Now, they got a random tip saying that Macklin Sr. might be involved. And so they were like, okay, Yuloma's ex, ex-man, ex-husband's probably involved. That was a dead end. Macklin Sr. got better things to do with his time, clearly. So the ballistics investigation came back. And on that 9 millimeter shell casing, there was a fingerprint. The fingerprint didn't match anybody in their database, in their system. So another dead end. But, you know, they still had a fingerprint. Will's murder is like slowly but surely becoming a cold case. I mean, the detectives, they're really trying to figure out, but they have no leads. Before Will was murdered, they were set to move into the new house. So Uloma still went ahead and moved. Will's firefighter friends, co-workers, they all were like, you know, we're going to support you with love. So they helped her continue with this move out of their house like they had planned. So they moved to the new place. She was living there all alone. Uh, she was benefiting from the firefighter funds for widows, so and she got like $50,000 from them. Yuloma lived there for a few months, and then she decided that she was going to move out of Cleveland altogether. She told everyone that it was just too hard. It just reminded her too much of Will. And so she just needed to be away. She just needed to be away. So she hopped in her car and drove from Ohio to Fayetteville, North Carolina, and rented a house there. Why of all places Fayetteville, North Carolina? That's not a great area. Remember, there's two cars because Will had a car, she had a car. Will's urn and his ashes were in Will's vehicle, but she drove her own vehicle and left Will's remains in Cleveland in his car. And she asked a friend that was up there in Cleveland to keep most of Will's belongings and put them in storage. And he was, she was like, you know, I'll pay, pay you for all of that later. The friend ended up paying like $800 for a storage unit and never heard from Uloma again. Which, girl, Eight just months, throw it away. I, I would have. I would have. Like, why waste I'd, somebody else's money on some shit? Like, and, girl. When you don't give a fuck, you don't give a fuck. So eight months went by and the detectives put out a $12,000 reward for any information, but still no new information went in and the case went cold. One day, finally, because, you know, phone records take a long time to get back. The phone records finally come back and the phone records come back of everybody that they were looking into. Phone records of Uloma, Jackie, and Chad. From the cell phone records, they tracked Chad's self-GPS from his mom's house to Lampson Road area during the time of the shooting on November 2013. They also found text messages between Jackie, Chad, and an unknown number. Turns out that unknown number was for the guy who drove Chad and Ryan to Will's house, right? And they see all of these text messages on the night of the murder. With this new information, they search Chad's name again because it's been a year, and they're like, maybe there's something new on his record. And they were right. Chad was currently in jail on a drug charge. So they go up to the jail, and they question him again. He walks out to the interview room. He's all dressed out and everything. And they're like, hey, listen, I'm going to let you know right now. We're pressing charges against you for the conspiracy to commit murder, and let's just go sit down on right now and have a chat. They tell him immediately about the phone records, and he gives up the jig. He's like, okay, you got me. I know about the conspiracy, but I'm not the one who pulled the trigger. I did not kill him, okay? He said, 
Iloma arranged it all. And the detectives are stunned. And he was like, no, no, for real, let me tell you. She came to me twice, once in October and again a few weeks before they were supposed to move. And she said that Will was abusing her. And because everybody loved him, nobody was going to believe her. She came to me and she was like, hey, you want to make $10,000? And I was like, shit, yeah, how? And she was like, you just got to kill Will. And he was like, I mean, I can't kill Will, but I know somebody who could. And she was like, that's fine, works for me. She was like, he was like, yeah, so then she gave me a band to buy a gun and to get some help, right? He's like, so that's when I asked my cousin, Chris Hine, for the gun. And then I found the shooter, you know, Ryan Doherty, right? So I had asked Ryan if he would shoot Will for a band and some weed, but... I ended up spending some of the money, so I only gave him $800, but he said it was cool. So, Chad has officially told them everything. He gets booked. Fingerprints come back as a match on the shell casings that they originally found at the house, right? So, they're like, okay, you're saying that you're not the one to pull the trigger. Why are your fingerprints on the shell casing? He was like, oh, that's because I had kept the gun in my house before it happened, and and it's it's kids in my house, and I didn't want to load a gun around them, so I had unloaded the gun before it all happened and put it back when it was time. A few days passed, and Chris and Jackie hear all about Chad getting interviewed while in jail, and they kind of start to realize that the jig is up for them also, right? So they begin trying to t- save themselves. They go, and they turn themselves in. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land. But come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery. Bloodlines. Rated R. Streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Now, Ryan, he was already in jail for robbing a dollar store. So, very easy to talk to him, but or so they thought, but he refused to talk. The investigators were shook because Yuloma was acting like the perfect grieving widow. Like, she was not on their suspect list at all. So, getting phone records from Will's phone, of course, was hard. So, it took a while, but they were finally able to get Will's. First, they found out that there were a lot of calls and angry texts to and from a car salesman about a car and $10,000. After doing some digging, they found out that apparently Will ordered two cars from this man, gave him $10,000 as a down payment, but only got one of the two cars. They went to go talk to the guy because, you know, maybe this was a car dealer deal go wrong because, you know, of course Will's not going to do drugs. Maybe it was a legal deal gone wrong, but that ended up being a dead end. The next thing they found out in the phone records was was that there was a ton of calls to and from credit card companies. The deeper they looked, they found out that there were many credit cards and loans opened up in Will's name. And, of course, Uloma was the one using them. They thought, huh, lots of angry calls to and from bill collectors. Maybe Will was upset because Will did not know about any of these cards and loans opened up in his name. Y'all, one of my friends hit me up. I was like, you know, times are hard. I'm thinking about taking out a loan. I was like, oh, can you do anything but? Listen, like, don't do it. I, trust me, I've been there. I was like, 
I was like, let's weigh all the options before you take out a loan. And I'm sure that Will was aware that loans weren't a great idea. Plus, you know, he had money. So why would he need that? So he's calling these bill collectors like, somebody has stolen my identity. Please cancel all of this stuff. I'm not going to pay you back for something that I did not borrow. They remembered that, you know, Chad said that Uloma would give him money after they died. So they're like, maybe the motive of all this is money and debt. And maybe these angry calls with these credit cards and these loan officers, this this is the motive. It's got to be, right? So on September 14th, 2015, two years after Will's murder, with all of that information, they call Uloma and they ask her to come to Cleveland to talk. When she got to the station, they were nice at first. They were asking, you know, about Jackie and Will's relationship. And Uloma was like, you know, Jackie's a teenager. She's a teenager. She does what she wants to do. And Will is a no-nonsense. He runs a type ship. So their relationship was rocky. I'm, you know, it's teenage rebellion. It's that normal kind of thing. You heard this before. What I don't think we mentioned before was that Jackie was 17 and her boyfriend was 20. So all of, And he was already smoking in the house doing all that shit that he wasn't supposed to be. But also, like, she's 17 and you're 20. Get out of my house before I call the police. You know what I'm saying? They told her everything they knew. And they were like, look, we already got a confession from Chad, Chris, Jackie, and Ryan. She's like, so damn, is there anything that- <laughs> <laughs> So she's sitting there like, huh. And they're like, ma'am, is there anything that you want to say about the murder of your husband? And she said, yeah, I want a lawyer. And they were like, okay, that's fine. But uh, we'll get you a lawyer. But just so you know, there is enough probable cause to arrest you. So you're under arrest. We're going to take you to the jail. We'll get you your lawyer so you can await arraignment. Everybody, Jackie... Chad, Ryan, Chris, Yoloma, they're all arraigned together on September 17th, three days after they were arrested. Chad was charged with involuntary manslaughter and conspiracy to commit involuntary manslaughter. His bond was set at $1 million. Chad said, please relook at that because ain't no way I got a million dollars. And they said, that's the point. You're staying there. The day that Chad was arrested, his mom calls the detectives and says that Chad is ready to talk. Um, I bet you are, buddy. So they bring him in again, and he admits to the murder and helping Yoloma orchestrate it. And he says that he paid a friend $20 to drive him and Ryan there. Ryan was charged with aggravated murder, and his bond was set at only half a million dollars. Chris Hine was charged with involuntary manslaughter and conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, and his bond was set at half a mil. And Yoloma was charged with involuntary manslaughter, conspiracy to commit involuntary manslaughter, and her bond was set at a million. While Chad, Jackie, and Ryan are sitting in jail, every single one of them decides, I'm going to make a deal. I'll tell you about Yoloma. You shorten my sentence, right? So Chad gets sentenced with 28 to life. Ryan got 23 to life. And Jackie, she was only 17 at the time of the crime. You know, she flips on everybody, spills it all, names her mom as the ringleader, um, says that she did it because she had bad credit card debt and didn't want Will to find out. She also said that, you know, the life insurance money would be great. They ended up charging her as a juvenile, and she only ended up spending a month in juvie with supervision after she got out until she was 21. That's so, girl, you got to weigh clean because clean. if they would have charged her as an adult, I mean, she was 17, so the likeliness of them charging her as an adult, like, I'm surprised it very they well could have been there. 
And then she was a month away from 18. Yeah. Like, she had a real good lawyer, I guess. Or she just wasn't in Florida. So at this point, the cops are just waiting on Chris to make his plea deal, but he said he didn't want to. They offered Jaloma a plea deal. Also, like, listen, we've got a mountain of evidence against you. You, you sure? She says, nah, because then y'all trying to make me the ringleader. So you know what we're going to do? Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. On the day of Uloma and Chris's trial, Chris decided to take a plea deal, and he got 18 to life. Uloma's trial began on June 21st, 2017. Cuyahoga County Prosecutor Blaise Thomas started everything off by telling the jury about Will and how good of a man, dad, and firefighter he was. They showed the jury pictures of Will with the mayor, pictures of him putting out fires, saving people from cars that had fallen off of bridges, pictures of him with his kids, you know, really showing the jury that this was a good stand-up man that was murdered. They then show pictures of Will and Uloma smiling together and told the jury that by the end of this trial, they will prove that Uloma, a sweet, smiling lady, killed this great man. They told the jury about how she lied to him about having cancer. Yes, folks, we'll get there. And how she was jealous that Will was still in love with his ex, Rita. And she was scared that he was going to find out about all of her debt that she had racked up, not only personal, but in his name. They told the jury that Uloma's lying, manipulation, jealousy, and fear is what killed Lieutenant Will. And they told the jury how Uloma lied to her daughter, Jackie, and to her boyfriend, Chad, that she masterminded this entire plan. They had Chad, Jackie, Chris, Ryan, and the guy that drove Chad and Ryan at the house testify against her at trial. I mean, she, Jackie testified against her own mama. She said, listen, charge me as a minor. I'll give you what you need. Mm-hmm. They showed the text between Jackie and Uloma after the crime and that they were like, in the text, they were kind of like congratulating each other for getting the job done. Um, they also showed the text messages between Chad and Jackie planning to see each other that night. And the text between, they also showed the text between Ryan, Chad, and Chris talking about, you know, we got to go get a ham. And then after it was done, based off the time, they were like, we got a body. Like, what they were to asking about the time, where are we? I'm about to go get the stash, about to send Will out to go get some food. Like, they, it was clear that it was planned via these text messages. Jackie and Chad testified that Uloma killed him for money and she agreed to give them $10,000 with, you know, that $1,000 down payment that to get everything situated. Jackie also said that Uloma told her that Chad should take the pockets out of Will's pants. She was like, you know, if you pull out his pockets, it'll look like he got robbed, but they didn't do that. But they testified it on court. They were spilling all the beans. Ryan testified that he was contacted by Jackie and Chad on November 3rd, 2013. And that the day of the murder, when they asked him if he wanted to, you know, make some money, he was like, hell yeah. And so Chad and another guy picked him up. He hid behind the garbage can. And when Will showed up, he popped out of the garbage can, shot him, got his little $800, got his weed took the train home. So next they bring in a man named Enrique Ramos who testified Ooh, really nice. that <laughs> who testified that he works in a car mechanic garage with another guy named 
Isaiah Solomon. He said that he recorded a conversation that he had with Isaiah. You sneaky, you sneaky mom. On the recording, Isaiah was talking about how this guy named Chad and his girlfriend approached him and asked if he could shoot a firefighter for him. And Isaiah said, fuck no. And... Oh, and then the couple got mad and left. Then they have Isaiah come and testify that that was him on the recording. And Isaiah's like, yeah, it was. Next, I got Detective Lynch on the stand. He's a 22-year veteran of the police department. And he comes to talk about that 911 call Yolama placed after Will was shot. Now, the recording was paid for the jury. And... Detective Lynch testifies that he reviewed the call as part of the investigation with the goal of, quote, looking for indicators of deception in the call. He explains that the biggest indicator in this call when I reviewed it was the term, please use alone by itself. He's like, that was the, the, the deception that I heard. 17 times she said, please. She never responded to direct questions. She never gave facts when asked who shot your husband by the operator. She was asked four times who shot your husband before she finally answered, I don't know. He said that she didn't describe what she heard that night, and she deflected most of the direct questions to the dispatcher during the whole call. So then they put the firefighter on the stand to testify about how when he got to the scene, Will was covered in blood and Yolama was not. She only had a bit of blood on her right hand, and that doesn't make sense. If she touched him after he got shot while waiting for 911, you know, she would have been covered. He's, he's bleeding out. And, you know, I think the first thing they say is put pressure on the wound. So just a bit of blood on your hand, like, does not equate trying to save your husband. Any type of, it, it just shows you didn't even touch the body, girl. Then they had the medical examiner testify about how Will arrived at the hospital at 9.12 p.m. and was treated for his injuries. The three gunshot wounds were all in the left side of his chest slash the, like, upper arm and shoulder. So, you know, near the heart area. But after a while, he, he failed to respond and was pronounced dead at 9.42 p.m. His autopsy was completed the next day on November 4th, 2013. And it was determined that the cause of death was the gunshot wound to the left upper extremity. And the bullet went through the left upper arm and re-entered the left axilla. I'm sure you medical people will tell me I said that wrong. Which is basically the space below the shoulder through which vessels and nerves enter and leave the upper arm. Basically, it's like near your armpit area. But it's a lot of like nerves and stuff there. Then the bullet perforates. Then the bullet hits the sixth and seventh rib and his left lung. It hits the liver, and it, the bullet was found lodged in his abdomen. And, of course, the manner of death was homicide. The prosecutor said that Uloma betrayed Will's family and coworkers, that they considered Uloma, like, as a grieving widow. They helped pay for her living expenses after his death. They, they helped, helped her move. And they also said that Uloma even betrayed her own daughter. I mean, you set up your daughter's boyfriend— and some other children to get this together. Like, how horrible could you be, right? They showed the jury a copy of the check that Uloma wrote and cash for $1,000 on November 1st, 2013, which was just two days before Will was killed. They also showed two letters that Uloma wrote after Will's death. The first letter said, I, Uloma Curry Walker, hereby told Chad Paget to kill William Walker. Mm. 
her second letter was addressed to her son and to her son in the letter she was saying that she was sorry she was telling her son to be a good man and Jackie her daughter her and her ex Macklin senior testified that Uloma did write those letters that they were her handwriting, she wrote them, and Jackie said that she recognized her mother's handwriting, and Macklin Sr. said that he was there and witnessed her write the letters. They also said that in all the years that this has been under investigation and that they were digging into Uloma's life, they never found not a single smidgen of evidence that proved that Uloma had any type of of cancer, not breast cancer, not no type of cancer. They checked her house for, you know, evidence of medicine, doctor's papers. They were looking for any type of medical records, nothing. They told the jury, and you know, Uloma was saying that she was going to chemo. That's code for shopping. So they were like, clearly Uloma made this elaborate plan to lie to Will in an effort to get his insurance money, to get his life insurance policy. The thing about Uloma is she didn't really think this really all the way through because they had only been married for four months. It takes a long time to get your affairs in order. And Uloma didn't do her research. It ain't about the, the affairs not being in order. I mean, they were in order. They just weren't in. They were in order. Excuse me. His, his affairs were in order. His life insurance policy did have a beneficiary. But the beneficiary was Rita, the ex-wife, not Uloma, the current wife. So the bitch killed him for nothing. Then the last thing that the prosecutor said to the jury was, quote, when one takes the bonds of marriage and then do this, what is a just punishment? End quote. Yolanda's defense attorney, Robert Dixon, said, nope, absolutely not. And they built an entire case around Jackie being the mastermind and Yoloma not knowing what happened at all. Which is crazy, girl, because don't you have to agree to go with your defense and you agree to set your daughter up? Yeah, she didn't give a fuck. That's probably why the oldest daughter, Jessica, she like, probably has some sense. You know, there's always, even when the parents are fucked up, there are some kids that really just, they get used to it, and they're just like, this is the bullshit that mama's always on. They accept the toxicity. They don't even recognize it as toxic. But there's always one, especially if there's not an only child situation, if there's multiple children, there's always one that's just like, you know what, I'm going to completely remove myself and continue to remove myself. Mm-hmm. That's why I... Older, older daughter Jessica was not even in the house. She said, fuck that, mom. So, yeah, the defense is like, Jackie was pissed at Will for the way that he treated her. And they said that, you know, Will babied her and wouldn't let her be the grown-ass teenager that she was and wouldn't let Chad come over. And then she got kicked out of the honeymoon affairs. And, you know, she was just pushed to the edge. And that's when she asked Chad to kill Will. They said Yolanda might have known about the plan, but it definitely wasn't her idea. Not the attempted murder in October and not the actual murder in November. Yolanda didn't brainstorm any of that, right? So the defense finishes off by saying that Yolanda loved her husband and that the bulk of the prosecutor's evidence against Yolanda comes from her co-conspirators. Of course they would want to make her the bad guy. Look what they did to Paula Cooper. She said all her co-conspirators got extreme benefits from testifying against Yolanda. 
And the prosecution also argued that just because there's no evidence of Will abusing Aloma, that doesn't mean that it never happened. Now, this whole trial, Yoloma is just sitting there stone-faced until all the firefighters come up and talk about all the insane rescues they went on with Will and what a great guy he was. And you can see her start to cry. Too little, too late, girl. On July 7, 2017, the jury deliberated for an hour and 30 minutes, and they came back and found Yoloma guilty of aggravated murder and conspiracy to commit murder. She cried when the verdict was read. After she was found guilty, but before she was sentenced, Charlemagne made her donkey of the day on the breakfast club. Yes, because became, it, he's a fool. Yeah, just really making fun of how you killed your husband for insurance money and were not was not the beneficiary of the money. Like you threw your life away for nothing. And had you done your proper research, you would have nixed that plan. <laughs> A month later, on August 8, 2017, it was time for the sentencing. They had the firefighters come in and testify. Melody and Chris, Will's children, came and testified. Um, they talked about what a huge loss this was for them, for the city. Melody talked about how she couldn't believe that on the night of the murder, she was in the hospital consoling Yoloma bottling up her own grief to be there for Yoloma. And Yoloma was the person behind it all. Mm, 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 mm. Yoloma's friends testified about how they would be there for her if and when she got out. And 30 minutes go by, and she was sentenced to life with murder and 11 years for conspiracy. And boy, did she cry some more. After the jury sentenced Yoloma, the judge, Judge Cherie Midday, said to Yoloma, you took a life with no remorse and no consideration for the lives that you would destroy. Do I think that you could come up with another plan if you were back in the community? Absolutely. Hell yeah. You're in jail for life. So after everything was said and done, before Chad was even arrested, Jackie got pregnant and had a kid. So, And of course, she only served a month in juvie. Melody graduated from college, and Chris is on his way to college. Macklin Jr. and Ashley are thriving with their children. Ryan is at the Belmont, Ryan is at the Belmont Correctional Institution in St. Clairsville, Ohio, and he'll be eligible for parole in June of 2038. Chris is at the Warren Correctional Institution in Lebanon, Ohio. He is eligible... He is eligible for parole in August of 2033. Chad is at the Lake Erie Correctional Institution in Connecticut, Ohio. He is eligible for parole in September 2043. Yoloma is in Dayton County Correctional Facility, and she just might as well go ahead and chill there because she will be there, well, you know, for life. There's not much to report there other than the fact that in her most recent um, mugshot jailhouse ID photo, she is, um, her face is beat. Your makeup cute. As cute as you can be in prison. <laughs> and that is the story of Yoloma Curry Walker. All right, y'all, it is time for. Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I ain't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. 
I ain't do it, but if I did, I'm not involving my kids in it. I mean, that just shows how selfish she is to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you would... Because what if Jackie was charged as an adult? You had no guarantee that she was going to be charged as a minor. And especially because she was 17. Like, she definitely could have been charged as an adult and been in prison for a lot of years. Crazy. Um, I ain't do it, but if I did, if I call 911 and on the phone call, I'm like, oh, my God, how do I help? How do I help? Even if I'm not going to help, because clearly she was calling and freaking out and standing over his dying body. And I would have at least, like, laid myself on there, got some blood on my shirt, looked like I had tried to administer some type of aid. Listen, I ain't do it, but if I did, like, these people, they're not selling it enough. Like, you need somebody who's going to hit them the right way to where you can literally do all you can and it's not going, you know what I mean? Like, the whole, right. I'm going to delay the phone call, I'm no. Once the murder happens, it's game time. I no longer act like I'm part of this conspiracy. I need to do everything possible. And if the man fucking makes it through, well, then you should have did better at it. But, like, this is why you don't go around killing people. Because exactly. I didn't do it, but if I did, um, excuse me, young sir, when you put your bullet, this is for everybody, just in general, like, you should be cleaning your bullets before you put them in your gun. Like, even if you're just going to the shooting range, it's it needs to just be a habit to always wipe your 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 bullets. Like, make sure that there are no when you're putting your bullets in, use a use a cloth to put your bullets in. Do not make sure there are no bullet pull that there are no fingerprints on a bullet. Like, I ain't do it, but if I did, um, Ryan, value your life more. Eight hundred dollars in some weed. To risk spending all that time in jail? Like, obviously you didn't value Will's life, but value your own life more. It was worth more than $800. Come on now. And I think the most important, I didn't do it, but if I did, is you need to make sure that that insurance policy is correct and in your name. <laughs> Listen, it was never going to be because he was like, this insurance is for my kids. Right. Which is why he left it to Rita, because Rita is the mother of his kids. Which makes complete sense to me. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Like Moves of a good man. Right. You should have got pregnant. I guess they were too old. Was she too old to go? You should have got she pregnant. Got grown so so you could have argued that that beneficiary needed to come out to you and your brand new child. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, you was already didn't give a fuck about your kids. So clearly you planned on using them as pawns in your scheme anyways. Well, at least the daughter. You didn't use your son. So you clearly didn't care about the girl, your girl children. So I ain't do it. But if I did, I've said it once. I'll say it again. If the plan is to make it look like a robbery, rob them. I don't get you it. You tried to tell them. I don't understand. We have to stay in character, guys. Yes, you better give them acting notes. <laughs> I ain't do it if I did. I think it's a good rule of thumb to not kill people with badges. They're going to put in the extra effort. You know, don't kill somebody with any type of badge and don't kill anybody with them in the military. I, you, They're going to put in the extra effort. Um, because they could have, they definitely could have pronounced, even, even in the operating room, they could have pronounced him dead almost 30 minutes earlier, but they were trying harder to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. She um, was smart about having somebody that Will had never seen before do it because he could speak a little bit. And if Uloma was the trigger person, then 
he would have he had enough life when um when paramedics arrived to at least he would have had enough life to be like her you know mm-hmm. i think that was the only thing that she remotely did correct in this crime and you still failed like girl <laughs> um i ain't do it but if i did there were way too many people involved way too many people involved i feel like if as soon as chad um got nervous and wasn't able to pull the trigger the first time you should have left chad completely alone i think she should have aborted the mission because chad will still testify that she once had me do this and i bitched out you know what i mean exactly you should have just let it sit for a while all right that's all i got all right, uh, parole or no parole? No parole. Obviously no parole. I'll give the boys parole, though, once they're eligible. I I just feel like they were young and impressionable and just stupid as fuck. And, I mean, that's what you want. You want somebody... You want somebody that's stupid as fuck because they'll be they'll do the job, but you don't want nobody that's stupid as fuck and young because they're going to they gonna snitch. They're going to tell. All right, let's read some reviews. Let's get out of here. This one is from July. It's a, it's from Deja Renee. She said, Deja Renee says, the best crime. <laughs> Five stars. Love this podcast. I've been putting so many people on. Thank you. Thank you. And we keep telling y'all, tell a friend. Every time somebody DMs us and it's like, we love y'all. I'm like, tell somebody else then. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend. We are, we want to, we want to be around and be able to put this content out for you. Why they got and... Tanika Jenkins as a guest on our show? Is that what it says? We have we don't have no guest. Look, that's some murderess. <laughs> Who did that? It don't even have you up here. Mm, that's it, correct. This one says it's given exactly what it was supposed to have gave. First, let me start off by saying thank you for creating this podcast. There are a few true crime podcasts that I listen to, but I am religiously on Apple Podcasts on Friday for y'all. Okay. I love the organic conversations that happen throughout the podcast. I love the chemistry that you have together. I appreciate your perspectives, and I love, 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 love. I'm not black. I'm OJ. I feel like when I tune in, I'm chilling with my girls. I even got my girlfriend on the show. Like, she is now also religiously listening to y'all. So, please, keep doing what you're doing. Please. Please continue to expand your platform. People are going to follow you. People want to fuck with y'all. I can't wait to see y'all podcasts on YouTube. Oh, well. Don't hold your breath. Hold your, if you do hold your breath, can't charge us for murder. All right, y'all. That's the end of the show. Um, if you want to talk to us, suggest cases, ask for ad spaces, you can do that at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to ask Tazzy special questions, and I promise you'll see the fruits of that labor, labor later, you can ask her questions at tazzytalks at gmail.com. That's T-A-Z-Z-Y, talks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Sisters Who Kill. Follow us on Instagram at Sisters Who Kill Pod. Follow us on TikTok at Sisters Who Kill Podcast. And join the discussion group, but you must answer the questions to get in. Anything else, friend? Talk to us. We talk back. Bye. Bye.